0: Thank you. Let's take God's word again this morning and turn to Numbers chapter 15, if you would please. This is a very interesting chapter, and you may wonder what we're going to draw from here. But this is a chapter sandwiched between two great problems with the nation of Israel. If you remember in chapter 14, the problem was that there arose a mutiny saying, we're going back to Egypt. We're going to appoint another leader. We're going back to Egypt. We're sick of all of this. In fact, we find in another place in God's word that they had actually appointed another leader. We don't know his name, but they had actually found another man. Rejecting the God-appointed man, Moses, and the God-ordained path of going into the promised land. They'd rejected all of that. And they were headed out. And the consequence of that, we know, is that God's people were then condemned to die in the wilderness. For the next 38 years, they'd wander around until every carcass dropped and died in the wilderness. And Then we come to chapter 16. We'll look at that next week. In chapter 16, you have another uprising of these who are associated with Korah. 250 leaders had mutiny. You know the story, the earth splits, swallows them. It's quite a, Quite a vivid picture. We'll look at that next week. But between these two acts of rebellion, we have this chapter, which is, it looks and appears to be quite an out-of-place chapter, but it's not. And it's very a very encouraging chapter. You say, well, it's a chapter about sacrifice and offering and rules and regulations. What's encouraging about it? Look at the first two verses. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye become into the land of your habitations, which I gave unto you. This is an encouraging chapter because God lets his people know right off of the back of a big failure that still there is hope for his people to enter into the land. Now it won't be, it will not be the adults. They've already been condemned. He's not going back on his word. But he gives this chapter in speaking really to the children. He's speaking to those who will enter in. And those are those who are 19 years old and younger. This entire chapter is given to preparing the next generation for entering in. He's speaking to those who will enter in. We already know that those who are 20 years and older are not entering in. So we know that this chapter, these instructions are given to the children. Now, can I just say to you, woe unto the church of the living God when we forget about children. Woe unto the church when we put children into a corner with a coloring sheet to preoccupy them while we do our adult thing. The truth of the matter is, it was the children. They were the only ones who were going to walk in, of course, besides Caleb and Joshua. They were the only ones. And here we have instructions in chapter 15 preparing the next generation for the promised land. Now it's interesting because they still have 38 years before they're going to enter in. Because they're going to be drugged through the wilderness because of their parents' sin. They're going to spend the next 38 years following their parents up and down the wilderness because of the parents' failure. And let that be a warning to every father and mother In this tent this morning. That our failures often time often mean that we will drag our children with us. 38 years. Children were going to be drugged through the wilderness. But that meant that they had 38 years to be prepared. We know that many believe that the promised land, some imagine the promised land to be a picture of heaven. I don't believe it is. I believe it's a picture of entering in to a communion with Christ that is promised in this life. I believe that because when, you, when the children of Israel entered into the promised land, they still had to fight and battle. We won't be fighting and battling in heaven. We won't be conquering in heaven. It will be already conquered. The battle will be over. But this is in reference to entering into the kind of living that Christ intends for his people to enter into now. A kind of rest, which the author of Hebrews speaks of, which can be found now. And would you look this way? Most Christians never enter into that rest. Most believers never enter in to that promised rest in this life. Because they're so busy. So busy building their kingdom, so busy with their own ideas, so busy with their own mutiny, so busy with electing their own leaders that will lead them around in darkness, blind leaders of the blind. So busy wandering in the wilderness. But there is a promised rest. God is speaking to those children and he wants them to be ready. And I believe there's much to be taken here today, much to be learned here today I believe that we will never enter in until we learn some of the lessons that God gives to the children in this chapter. We will never ourselves enter into that promise, that promise of rest, into that level of intimacy with Christ, that level of communion with the Savior. We will never enter into that until we recognize and acknowledge some of the instructions given here. Perhaps the first thing that jumps out in my mind as I read this chapter is the word offering. The word offering is found 504 times in the Bible, 153 times in the book of Numbers, and it's found 27 times in this one chapter. The word offering. Now, I know that there have been charlatans Wolves in sheep's clothing that have stood behind pulpits and fleeced the people of God for many, many years. And because of that, nobody wants to talk about offerings anymore because the first thing we think about when you talk about offering is money. This is far beyond money. And we must speak about it because there's an emphasis on offering, of sacrifice. An offering is a sacrifice. Now, I oftentimes thought to myself and and it's good to be reminded, but I oftentimes think, well, why does God require a sacrifice? Does he need something from me? Is God poor that he needs my money? Is God hungry that he needs us to bring a lamb or a bull or, or, or some grain? Does he need something from me? Maybe he's angry and he needs me to give him something to make him happy. Sometimes we have this view of God that he's upset. He's in heaven. He's like a... It's like a child who has an uncontrollable temper and so you give him whatever he wants just to get him to settle down. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God we serve. Psalm chapter 51 is a beautiful uh, psalm. We have referred to this several times over the last couple of weeks. It's the psalm that David offers up after his great sin with Bathsheba. Offering and sacrifice are directly connected to sin. And the the more you and I recognize our brokenness, our sinfulness, our inadequacy, the more we will recognize the need for a sacrifice and the need for an offering. Now that is climaxed in Jesus Christ. Pictured throughout the Old Testament, the climax is in Christ, the crucified Lamb of God. Psalm chapter 51, David writes, in a broken state. He says in verse fifteen, "O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice. Well, hold on a moment. 27 times we find the word offering in Numbers chapter 15. I, I thought he did want an offering. I thought he did want a sacrifice. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. Okay, well then what does he want? If he doesn't want my sheep and he doesn't want my goat or my bull or my, or my pile of grain, then what does he want? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. All of these words of instructions found in, in Numbers 15, speak more than the act of taking the life of an animal. They speak more than the act of going through the motions and, and uh, offering a sacrifice and going through the motions and pouring out a drink offering and going through the motions and offering a, a, a heave offering. There's much more than just doing what is instructed of you. God is interested in a broken spirit. Can I ask you this morning... When was the last time you were broken over your sin? Your sin. Not somebody else's sin. Your sin. When was the last time you had a heart of contrition? You were grieved because of your sin. We find 27 times in Numbers 15. And verse number 3, and we'll make an offering by fire unto the Lord. A burnt offering, or a sacrifice in performing a vow, or in a free will offering. And it goes on over and over and over, speaking about an offering. Now we recognize that today we no longer bring before God our bulls and our goats and our sheep. We no longer bring that kind of an offering. But there is a different offering that is required of the Lord. It was mentioned in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 33, very appropriately stated. It's interesting. It was a scribe that said it. The scribe said in verse number 32 of Mark 12, the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth for there is one God and there is none other but he and to watch this and to love him with all the heart. And with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offering and sacrifices. Do you know you could come in today and put a million pounds in the collection and still it would not be pleasing to God. It's possible. Well, I've given my time this week. I've served this church tirelessly. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But do you love him with all of your heart? Every time a sacrifice was made, every time an uh, an offering was given, it was to be given in the right way. It was to be given out of a heart of recognition that there's a God in heaven that loves me. And he has delivered me from bondage. He has rescued my soul. He has guided me through this wilderness. He has met my every need and he is taking me to the promised land. Thank you, Lord. That's, what it's, that's how it's to be done. I don't know how God's people, I don't know how it happened and I don't know how it happens today. I don't know how we somehow forget about all that God has done and all that God is doing. And we begin to grumble and complain and even murmur against God. And when we begin to live like that, all of our sacrifice and offerings are pointless and meaningless. They mean nothing. You know the passage that comes to mind in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, when you think about our kind of a sacrifice and an offering, we immediately think of Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God didn't want your sheep and he didn't want your wallet, but he wants your life. He wants your life. Paul speaks at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I am now ready to be offered. Literally, that drink offering that was poured out. I'm ready to be poured out. That's what God desires. For your life to be poured out every breath, every drop, every hour, every day poured out to God Amen. in sacrifice. Amen. But do you know what we do? I find myself doing the same thing. We get so busy, Monday to Saturday. Saturday comes along and we remember, tomorrow's Sunday. Better get ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. But what about Monday? Is He not worthy of your life on Monday? Is He not worthy of you to offer the sacrifice of praise on Monday? Is he not worthy of you to offer all that you are and all that you have on Tuesday? What about Wednesday when you get frustrated in the middle of the week? Is he no longer worthy? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, another verse, in verse number 18, Paul speaks about how the church at Philippi had given generously. And he says, I have, but I have all and abound... I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You know, there is a time when giving even of our wallets is a sacrifice unto God. I believe that done in the appropriate way, done in an appropriate way, that giving even financially is a part of worship. Because we recognize that God is worthy. All that I have is from him. You'll find here in just a moment. In fact, that was part of their instruction when they got into the land that they were to offer the first loaf. We'll come to that in a moment. In Hebrews 13 and verse number 16, again, listen to another way that we're expected to give, but to do good and to communicate, forget not for with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. In the previous verse, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do you know our lips do so much damage, don't they? Our tongues cause so much damage. We come into a place like this, we sing praise to God, we sing praise of worship, then we walk out of here, and before we can even get our foot out of the tent, we're already grumbling, criticizing, gossiping, and slandering. James said, my brethren, this ought not to be so. How can a fountain bring forth good water and bitter water? How is it possible? But we hear it, don't we? Praise one moment, rubbish next. Offer the sacrifice. Do you know if you offered the sacrifice of praise continually? Do you know in the temple in the tabernacle and the temple, there were, was a constant flow of incense being offered up, yeah. which represented the praises of the people of God constantly, never ending. And now, instead of lighting a bit of incense or a candle, no, 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 God's not interested in you lighting incense, He's interested in you opening your mouth and praising it. Continually giving thanks to his name, to do good, to communicate. Don't forget that because these are the sacrifices that God is well pleased with. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, which is acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, in every one of those New Testament, New Covenant instances of what a sacrifice and offering is, they all reference being acceptable unto God. Now, when you go back to Numbers chapter 15, do you know that even then, if you offered a bull or a sheep on the altar of sacrifice, it was possible that you could do it in a way that was not acceptable? In fact, did you know that with every sacrifice, there was the command that tells us that there would be a grain offering and a drink offering to accompany it. A grain offering was a picture of thanksgiving and a drink offering was a picture of joy because it was wine. Here's what he was saying. When you make a sacrifice, do it out of thanksgiving and joy. That's why we read in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's a passage a lot of People try to avoid today, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it speaks about giving. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Because you're to give, every sacrifice, every offering ought to be done out of thanksgiving and joy, or it's a waste. If you grumble every time you reach into your pocket to give to the Lord's work, it's a waste. You might as well just keep it. You might as well keep it. When's the last time you heard a preacher tell tell you to keep your money? You might as well keep it. Because it is not pleasing to God. It is not acceptable unto God. And God doesn't need your money. God is not interested in your money. He's interested in your praise. He's interested in you recognizing without God you have no money. He's interested in you recognizing without God you have no job. I cannot believe the way that Christians think today. That's my money. It is not your money. It is not your life because we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. Everything you have is from God. And may He show you today that what you have is a gift from Him. And the sooner you recognize that and the sooner you let go and say to God, hey, It's all yours anyways. And you let him guide you in how to give. That's what it's saying here. Every once in a while, somebody says, what percentage should I give? Here it is. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. You give as the Lord leads you in your heart. You give, that means you're going to have to ask him. Lord, what would you have me to give? When's the last time you prayed that? When's the last time you prayed and and said, God, what would you have me to give? Not just of your paycheck, but of your time. Of your home. That's my home. That's my car. What would you have me to give? And by the way, this is worship. Offering, sacrifice is worship. Because you are declaring to God how worthy he is. You are saying, God, you are worthy of everything. You're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my money. You're worthy of all that I have and all that I am. Because you are God. And the more you see God for being worthy, the easier it will be for you to give whatever he leads you to give. And it ought to be, when it's done the appropriate way, it is a sweet-smelling savor. Verse 3, 7, 10, 13, and 14 speak about a sweet savor because it's acceptable Unto God. Can I just say it to you today, you are not worshiping God if there's no sacrifice. It is incomprehensible to imagine in the Old Testament that there was ever worship without sacrifice. And it's the same today. Sacrifice of time, sacrifice of praise, whatever it might be, there is no worship without sacrifice. And that's why when the pressure is turned up, when the heat is turned up, and, and when it costs you something, I'm not talking about money now. I'm talking about reputation. I'm talking about your job. When it costs you something, it is more pleasing to God. Well, I, It's a little bit easier if we just stayed home and did it on Zoom. I think he's worthy, don't you? I think he's worthy and our view of him will determine our giving. I wonder this morning, is your sacrifice pleasing to the Lord? I want you to notice something else in our text. Sacrifice offering is one of the ways that the children are being prepared to enter in, learn now to begin offering and sacrificing But we also find in verses 18 to 21 something very interesting. I mentioned this a moment ago. Verse 17, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land, whither I bring you, then it shall be that when ye eat of the bread of the land, ye shall offer up a heave offering unto the Lord. Ye shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough. Now, why was it they had to wait until they entered in? I'll tell you why. Because until they entered in, When they entered in, they would finally have land. They would finally have the fruit of the land. They begin to cultivate the land. They would begin to grow things. But now they were being fed by the manna of God through the wilderness. But when they entered in, they begin to labor with their hands and they would be tempted to think that they did it themselves. And so to prevent them from thinking that this is all our doing. Aren't we wonderful? He said, you make sure that the very first loaf you bake is given to me. To remind you that I brought you in. To remind you that it was I who delivered you. It was I who gave you this land. It was I who had blessed you. So give the first of your dough. Verse 21, of the first of your dough. That's why oftentimes people give when they first get their paycheck. As if to say, I'm going to give immediately because I recognize this paycheck has come from you, God. When you sit down to schedule your week out, you say, where will I first put my time? Where can I first give to God? Most of us don't even think like that anymore. Most of us never even think like that. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. This speaks about giving God the preeminence. Colossians 1.18 says that in all things, he, that's Jesus, might have the preeminence. But I'm afraid in many of our lives today, we have preeminence rather than Christ. We get what we want first rather than him. Instead of asking him, Lord, I have a little bit of extra money. What would you have me do with it? We think, what can I get with this little bit of extra? Oh, I have a little bit of extra time. Oh, I've been, I've been wanting to do this for quite some time now. No, no, no. What do you want me to do, Lord? How you respond to extra shows whether or not Christ has preeminence. How you respond to more proves whether he has preeminence or you have preeminence. When you have more money, what you do with it shows who has preeminence. When you have more time, what you do with it shows who has preeminence. When you have more fame or more power, What you do with it shows who has preeminence. He wanted them to know that when they entered in, they were not to forget about him. Then we come to something very interesting in this passage of scripture. We didn't read it all for the sake of time, but when you come to verse 27 to 29, you have instructions about sins of ignorance and then sins of presumption. And there were always, there was always a sacrifice for the sins of ignorance. Lord, I messed up. I didn't mean to. I, Lord, you know my heart. I didn't mean to. But then there are sins of presumptuous. Literally, it means in the Hebrew, sins with a high hand. Meaning you, you did what you did knowing it was wrong. And you did it as if to say, look at me. I'm not ashamed. The Bible says there is no forgiveness for that sin. You're to be cut off. That's it under the old covenant. In fact, right after that, it's almost like an example is given because immediately after that, you find a man picking up sticks on the Sabbath day and he's commanded to be killed. Now, I remember reading it thinking to myself, well, that's a little bit harsh, isn't it? The man was just picking up sticks. Maybe he wanted to make a fire. No, no, no. But this was immediately after the instruction was given. Look, presumptuous sins waving in the face of God saying, I know your commandment. I don't really care. That kind of a sin is worthy of being cut off. No matter how big or little you think it is. And this man, as if to fly in the face of God, knew every child of God knew the law in regards to the Sabbath on that day. As if to fly in the face of God. As if to raise his hand. And an order, command was given. That tells me something. That teaches the children of God something very important. That sin is serious. And we are living in a day and age when sin has been made light of. We no longer recognize sin as sin. We've given them all medical names. Drunkenness is no longer drunkenness. It's alcoholism. We got a disease. Fornication is no longer fornication. Immorality is no more immorality. We call them uh, little light names like sleeping around. And we have lessened it. It's not a big deal. Somebody recently said, out of the mouth of a professing believer that you can't marry someone until you live with them. You know, you, how, how can you marry someone unless you live with them? Then, you know, you got to try it out. Out of the mouth of professing believers because we have no longer made a stand. We've no longer recognized or declared that sin is grievous. We've permitted it. We've allowed it. Gossip runs free. We no longer recognize the clear pattern of scripture. That if you've got a problem with a brother, what do you do? You go to the brother. You don't talk about them behind their back. Yeah. Somebody wrote a book recently entitled acceptable sins. Sins that the church had deemed acceptable. Gossip is one of them. We dress it up as if we're concerned or if we're frustrated by the failures of other people. It's sin yeah. and it's evil. On down the line, we have lessened the fierceness. We've lessened the high regard that God has for holiness. We've, we've brought holiness down. We have been mingled amongst the heathen. And the church of God is no longer separate from the world. It's a mess. It's a mess. But God wanted his children to recognize, if you want to enter into that promised land, If you want to enter into that state of living, which not everybody can enter into, that intimacy with Christ, then there ought to be a measure of sacrifice in your life. There ought to be a a measure of preeminence. Christ must have the preeminence or you will never enter into that rest. Not only that, but there's got to be an acknowledging that sin is vile and there must be a hatred for sin. Paul speaks about mortifying the deeds of the flesh. We don't talk like that anymore, do we? We talk about pampering the flesh. I could do with a good holiday. I could do with a good holiday every day of the year. And there's nothing wrong with taking a holiday. We, Our body needs, my mind needs a break occasionally. But we are so preoccupied with pampering ourselves. The fle- pampering the flesh, pardon me. Sin is serious. One last thought. The last few verses. The Lord spake unto Moses, verse 37 of Numbers 15, speaking to the children of Israel, bid them that they make fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put on the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye, 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 ye used to go a whoring, that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. Last thing, you and I will never enter in to that promised rest without a measure of holiness. And that will never be achieved without a constant reminding of who God is. And what he has done, yeah. it's interesting. They were to make visible. Remember, Jesus rebuked the uh, the Pharisees in the New Testament for this because they made big flactories, boxes of scripture that they put on their heads. And, and they did it for a show. They didn't do it to actually remind themselves. It became a show. Just like, no offense, but just like the WWJD thing became a show. And perhaps started in a good way. A little bracelet. What would Jesus do to remind us? In many ways, like the old. It started in a good way, but it became a show. But here's what God was saying: Set up reminders in your life, in your thinking, all around you. Set up reminders because, listen to this: that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye use to go a whoring. There is a natural tendency to go back to the things of the world there's a natural tendency in your heart i'm sick of hearing people say follow your heart if you follow your heart you go right off the deep end i meet people all the time who follow their heart and they're nowhere to be found living a life of sinfulness living a life of brokenness gone down a path of heresy because they've followed their heart sounds nice doesn't it the bible says our heart is desperately wicked it's deceitful above all things. Just follow your heart. No, no, no. Follow God's word. Set up little blue ribbons. Blue was something that was used all in the tabernacle in the sacrificial. The 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 priests wore blue, and it was all through the uh, the altar system. Blue, a reminder of the sacrifice of Christ. Remind yourself, Jesus died for your sins. Don't go back into them. Remind yourself of who He is and what He's done. Remind yourself of how he instructs us to be holy for he is holy. And then we might be able to enter in to a level of living. Not because of our behavior, but because of what he has done in our intimacy with him. And under the new covenant, we recognize it's all been finished and all been accomplished in Christ. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the great sacrifice. And we look to him and our eyes must be fixed upon him. It would do you well to get rid of all ungodly music, that ungodly television, whatever else may be that's distracting you. Mobile phone, if you've got to take a sledgehammer to it, then do it. But if it's distracting you from keeping your eyes on Christ, you will wander for 38 years in the wilderness until you get enough guts to step on the phone and walk in. There's so many things that are distracting us. So many things. And instead of setting up reminders... Uh, To keep our eyes upon Christ, we're setting up constant reminders of the wickedness of this world. Before we get out of bed, we're reaching for the mobile phone to see what the news says. To see what the latest feed on Facebook is. What about the other reminders? You ought to put a Bible verse on your ceiling so when you open your eyes, there it is. Instead of your phone on your bedside table, put your Bible so you can reach over there and see what God says. May the Lord help us to put ribbons and whatever else it may be. If you go into my home, you'll see Bible verses here and there. That's not because I want to impress people with the Bible verses in my home. It's because I want to be reminded. There's a, there's a Bible verse when you walk into my door. Just there, I can see it now. Bookcase, when you first come in in the Bible verse there on the left, there's a verse above the bookcase that says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A constant reminder that as I go, so goes my house. There's a verse just to the left that says one thing I, I desired and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Put it there. Everywhere you look, put a Bible verse on you in the dashboard of your car. I, I don't care. Cover your speed Don't cover your speedometer up. Put a Bible verse there somewhere. So everywhere you look, you're reminded of what God has said and who he is and what he's done. Amen. We are living in a world of being reminded of rubbish. And give the BBC a break. Pick up your Bible. And then perhaps we might be ready to enter in. He says, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Think about that. He wants you to be reminded that he's your God. And he brought you out of the land of Egypt so he could be intimately your God. I am the Lord, your God. May the Lord help us. I want to enter in. Whatever he has for me, I want it. I want to enter into that rest, that intimacy with Christ Jesus that I've never known. I want it. There's got to be a measure of sacrifice and offering. There's got to be a measure of, there's got to be preeminence. Christ must have preeminence in my life. He must be first i must recognize how serious sin is how it will squash and kill my communion with christ like nothing else and i must desire to live a holy life because without holiness no man shall see the lord may the lord help us to enter in even today let's pray father we are reminded even this morning i have been reminded of many things in my life that are lacking Show me, Lord, please, by thy spirit, show me where, where I have failed. Turn my eyes, Lord, from off of myself unto the Savior. Help me, please. I ask of thee, Lord, to help this congregation. That we might be those who offer unto thee the sacrifice of praise. That there wouldn't be time in our mouths to criticize and gossip and slander. Because our mouth would be so full of praise continuously. Help us to offer unto thee our entire lives. Like a drink offering poured out, Lord, every drop, every moment, every second of the day. Help us, Lord. Help us. We know we can only do this by looking unto the one Christ Jesus who was poured out. He poured out his soul unto death that we might be redeemed, delivered from Egypt. Therefore, we operate in his strength. Help us this day. Help us to be holy, Lord. We cannot even dream of being holy without thy help. Help us to fear. Give us a certain fearfulness in regards to sin. We would not entertain it, that it would frighten us to go near to it, Lord. Give us a desire to walk circumspectly and carefully. Bless thy people this morning and help each one of us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And for-